0: Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you just take your hands and reach up to him? And you know, when we reach up to him, in the spirit, he's always reaching down to us. His invitation to us is not just occasionally, it's daily, it's regularly. Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your soul. I will pour out my love upon you, make you whole. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, mighty Lord. Thank you, mighty Lord, for loving me. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, mighty God, that despite all my imperfections, all my sins, all my failures, Lord, your love is never shortened toward me. You love me, God. You love me. Thank you, Jesus. You know, sometimes, no matter how many times we hear it, no matter how many times we're told that God loves us, we still fall into this trap of thinking that we have to earn his favor, right? So when we falter, when we fail, when we, we don't measure up, you know, we think somehow God's abandoned us, turned his back on us says he'd never leave you. Doesn't matter what you've done, he'll never leave you. Never forsake you. Oh, does that mean he doesn't care about what I do? Oh, sure he cares. And sure, God can be grieved or disappointed, but love is never on the table. And, And as Betty Ann said just a moment ago, you as a parent who love your children no matter what they do, have to have some understanding of what we're talking about. Right? No matter what our kids have done. How many know our kids have given us a few headaches and a few gray hairs, right? You know, no matter what, though, our love for them is never, ever, ever diminished. Amen? Never. It's never on the table. We say around here at Desert Stream, love is non-negotiable. That means that it's not something that we throw on the table that's up for question, that's up for barter. No, no, no. Love is non-negotiable. We also say around here all the time, we love beyond knowledge. What does that mean? It means, despite what we know about that person, despite what we know about their failures, we love beyond that knowledge. That knowledge does not stop us from loving, amen? Amen. Amen. Ever, ever, amen. We love, hallelujah. Father, we just thank you for your great love for us today. And Father, we thank you that we get to live in the bounty of that love. We get to live in the fullness of that expression made manifest in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That Jesus, you came to this earth on the motivation, upon the wings of love. You gave your life on the cross for love. You are motivated by love. And we receive that love today in Jesus' name. We receive it in Jesus' name. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much, worship team. Amen. Good stuff. Praise the Lord. Nice new song. Wow. Fantastic. Jeff told me about it last night, so we went home and listened to it for the first time ever. Absolutely amazing. Played it about 10, 15 times in the house last night, and uh, absolutely wonderful. <clears throat> well, if you're visiting with us today, it's first time here, we've been taking a journey over the last number of months since Easter, basically, uh, talking about kingdom values. And we're, we're talking about the values or the principles if you will, that the kingdom of God is built upon? What are the principles that the kingdom of God is built upon? So I'm just going to do a real quick review here for you. Um, the first principle that we uh, operate by, Adam, can you put it up there for us? The first principle we operate by is the principle of transcendence. Transcendence is a kingdom principle. Bible says, seek ye, what? First. The kingdom of God. And then all these things shall be added unto you. So the principle of transcendence means that the kingdom comes first and is before all things. It transcends all things. Secondly, we talked about how the a kingdom principle of freedom. And we hear a lot in society about what freedom is today and my rights and, and, and what my desires and my will should be. But the reality is freedom is the marriage of choice and responsibility. If you take away either one of those things, you don't have freedom, Right? If you take away choice you have a dictatorship if you take away responsibility you have anarchy we have to understand freedom is the marriage of choice and responsibility then we talk pastor mark We talked about service-based power how we gain authority by lifting people up jesus said i didn't come to be served, but to become a servant, right? And to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus demonstrated this principle when he got underneath us and he lifted us up. And that is a service-based power. Then we talked about the laws of the harvest and we talked about multiple laws. There's uh, seven of them, actually. You reap only what has been sown. You reap the same kind as you sow. You reap in a different season than you sow. You reap more than you sow. Everybody say amen to that. You reap in proportion to your faith. That you reap through perseverance, but the weeds grow all by themselves. And you can't live off last year's harvest. Those were the principles we talked about, or the laws we talked about under the harvest. Then we talked about the fifth principle, which is a results-based reality. That is the principle that Jesus expressed when he said, a tree is known by its fruit, and that we've been called to bear fruit, much fruit, more fruit, and fruit that would remain, right? And in society today, they throw money at everything, whether it's producing results or not. That's not the way of the kingdom. The kingdom says results. And if there's no results, then we scrap it and we go in a different direction, right? And then finally, last week, we talked about division of labor. We talked about uh, in the scripture how it makes Paul makes it so plain that not everybody's the same part, not everybody has the same gift. There's no I in teamwork. The reality is everybody functions together doing their part. Today, we're going to talk about principle number seven, and that is the principle of separation of powers or... To whom much is given, much shall be required. Father, I ask you for your help today as we look at this incredibly important principle that your kingdom operates by. Father, we pray that God, you would show us how you declared it in scripture and how, Father, you want us to live according to this principle. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this next statement I'm gonna put up on the screen, I'm sure everybody's heard before and it was originally declared by Lord Acton, who's an English historian, and he said this, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. How many have heard that phrase before? We've all heard it before, and it rings so true to every one of us because whether you're a conservative or whether you're a communist, whether you're a capitalist, whether you're liberal, whether you're, doesn't matter what you are, this statement rings true for us because we've all seen what happens when people with power get too much power and don't have any accountability in their life. We've all witnessed it, amen? Doesn't matter what your persuasion is, you know that it exists and that it's a great danger. Well, today's kingdom principle, the separation of powers, takes its name from the U.S. structure of government and uh, why it's the framers of the U.S. Constitution and their structure of government created them the way that they did. The founding fathers, they understood that there was a propensity For people, once they got power, to want more power, and to want more power, and to want more power. And they had come out from underneath the tyranny of a king that was not a benevolent leader, but was one who was exacting from them without giving anything. And they said, we don't want that. We want a government in which there is this thing called accountability. And that's why globally, the U.S. system of governments called to this day—they call it the Grand Experiment—because it had never been done anywhere on the earth before. And uh, you may look at it and say, "Well, I'm unsatisfied with the results, and I'm not going to here. I'm not here today either to say it's perfect or to defend it in the in the, you know in the light of where it has maybe failed or not lived up to your expectation. But what I can tell you this is that in no other country in the world is the voice of the people more heard than it is in the United States. Well, you can say, well, what about Canada? What about Great Britain? Well, the United States is the only place in the world from the president to the senators, to the governors, to the the mayor, to the police chief. I mean, every person that is a leader in civil service is elected by the people, right? Not true? Not so in Canada. Yes, we elect our members of parliament, but the senators are appointed, right? We elect our mayor and city councils, but the chief police and many other offices are hired. Only in the United States do you have an election ballot where you're going in and you're, you're electing all of these people to office, and they stay there only at the will of the people. They only maintain that position at the will of the people. Now, the kingdom of God, by contrast, is a monarchy. And, uh, but it's a divine monarchy. And what I mean by that is we have a perfect king whose benevolent love for his citizens is unquestionable. But even so, even in the kingdom of God where we have this perfect benevolent king, God understood that he exercised the authority of his kingdom through fallen men. And so therefore he recognized the need for accountability in the kingdom of God. He recognized the need of accountability. The Founding fathers in the U.S. recognized it. Every form of government, I think, on earth, other than those that are communists or dictatorships, recognizes there's need for at least some level, some form of accountability. Without it, we're in trouble. So that's my first point this morning, is that we all need accountability. Somebody say, we all need accountability. The Bible declares there is no one righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the kingdom of God. In other words, every human being is in an existence or in a state where we need others to hold us to account. None of us is perfect. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of what God's uh, perfect will for our life was. And there's no one who is good enough to operate without counsel or correction or wisdom or input or instruction or accountability. There was only one person who was good enough to get by without those things. How do we know who that one person was? Jesus. And yet, Jesus, even though he did not need that accountability, he lived in that accountability. John chapter five verse 30. Jesus said, "I can do nothing of myself. As I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will." But the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus, though without sin, practiced the principle of accountability. He practiced the principle of accountability by doing only what was the will of the Father. He didn't do what his will was, he did the will of the Father. And Jesus practiced this principle right to the cross, right to the cross. In Luke chapter twenty-two, forty-two, 42, Jesus, at the, the, the lowest point, I think, in his life, where he's, he's in the garden and he's praying and, and he says, Father, if it's your will, he says, take this cup from me. But then, even then, Jesus said, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Even in that moment, Jesus recognized the incredible wisdom there was in submitting his will, making his life accountable to the will of the Father. And he expressed it in that moment. If Jesus saw the wisdom and we reap the benefit of that wisdom in living a life of accountability, how much more do you and I need it? How much more do you and I need to be people who seek out counsel and instruction and correction and make that principle alive in our own life? The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man or one woman's countenance sharpen another. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. That proverb is making it clear to us that we need others in our life to refine us, to sharpen us, to hold us accountable, to take the edge off. Hello? To make us people who are effective, people who are going to be able to carry the will of the Lord. Second point today is this, that the antidote to corruption and power in our world today is accountability. The antidote to corruption and power as accountability. A number of years ago, I got a few people upset. I've done that before when I write things. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a, a simple opinion article about a conflict south of the border, it was dividing the left and the right. There's, that never happens south of the border. Cons, I mean, Republican and Democrat, there's never any rift between the two. But anyway, there was a, a huge rift going on and it was regarding the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky affair. Everybody remember that story? And so, at issue was whether the president had carried on an extramarital affair with a young intern, Monica Lewinsky, while he was president of the United States. Now, his wife called it a vast right-wing conspiracy, and those on the right called it another example of the president's proclivity for infidelity. For me, the issue, the issue wasn't whether he'd had the affair or not. My issue was with this comment that many people made. It doesn't matter whether he had an affair with Monica Lewinsky or not. Even the president has the right to a private life. Now that's the statement that I had, I took objection to. See, my issue with that statement is, is it true that the president of the United States has a private life while he's in office? Well, certainly he has a private life in the sense that He gets to decide what he wants to eat for breakfast. And that doesn't need to be public news. He gets to decide what kind of cologne he wears, what clothes he's going to put on. I mean, he gets to make many decisions about where he's going to have a vacation or what he's going to, you know, do on that vacation, whether he's going to go boating or whether he's going to, you know, race a car. I don't know. But, but hear this. When it comes to anything to do, with his interaction with those that are entrusted to his power, he has no freedom at all. And to defend that office in that context is absolutely incorrect. Why? Why? Because this principle is true. The more powerful someone is the more they must be accountable. Jesus said it this way in scripture. Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they have entrusted much, they will demand the more. Catch that last part. And to the one that they've entrusted much, to the the president, to the leader of that person, they will demand the more. What does that mean? It simply means that the most powerful person in the world must also, by virtue of that office, be the least free person in the world when it comes to their interaction with the people that are under their authority. They must be the most accountable. If you're gonna be the most powerful, you must be the most accountable. When it comes to anything to do with the interaction uh, with those under our entrusted power, then we should not have freedom. We should have accountability. The more powerful, as I said, you are, then the more accountable you must be. So the message is clear. The antidote for corrupt power is accountability. We need accountability. Jesus, uh, or I should say James said in scripture, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. In other words, what he was saying is that the, the more authority we have, the more people that we are ministering to, the more uh, uh, you know, place of, um, uh, of importance or of, of instruction or of leadership that God gives you, the more accountable you must be. And if that isn't the case, then we're in trouble. In principle number three, when Pastor Mark talked about service-based authority, He talked about how love makes the exercise of power safe. It's love that makes it safe. Because in a service-based authority, power is no longer the goal, but empowering others becomes the goal. So that's why love helps to make it safe. But since in a governmental structure we can't always trust that there will be enough love to make it happen, then we need accountability. Because of the fallenness of man, we need accountability. We all need accountability. Just look at the litany of fallen pastors, politicians, celebrities, athletes. The more power that they accrued, the more opportunity there is for sin to dominate. The only ones who make it to the finish line, untarnished. The only ones who make it to the finish line, untarnished, are the ones who seize hold of the depth of this truth, and they make themselves accountable. Are you hearing me this morning? Albert Moeller, who's president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary said, with power and responsibility must come accountability. A leader without accountability is an accident waiting to happen. Wow. An accident waiting to happen. Now that, Let's just talk about how then in the kingdom of God, in a kingdom of grace, how is accountability exercised? This is where the rubber gets, hits the road. I know we're all, we've all talked about accountability, but there's a difference between accountability in law and accountability in grace, and we want to illustrate that this morning. So how do we do that? Because We do it when accountability and understand that accountability is better surrendered than enforced. It is better, everybody say that, better surrendered than enforced. Say it again. Better surrendered than enforced. Accountability is better when it's surrendered than when it's enforced. The kingdom of God principle of accountability, it injects checks and balances into our life and in any organization, but understanding how it works and how it functions is really important. The way to destroy an organization is to remove the principle of accountability from the organization. But we have to understand two critical things. Firstly, the ultimate guardian of these checks and balance systems is the continued education of the people. So what we need is we need to educate people on a few things. We need to educate them, first of all, on the power of accountability. How making yourself accountable is powerful. Second thing we need to educate them on is on the fallenness of man. Why we need accountability. You know, you get them to look in the mirror and say, just take a look in the mirror, right? Jesus says, I love you. Jesus says, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But when you look in the mirror, is that what you see? And you go, no. And he said, good. He said, I'm here to try and close the gap in your life between what I've declared you to be and what you see when you look in the mirror. But the reality is, there's still something there when we look in the mirror and we go, oh God, I need help with that. Right? And so we need education on that. The United States Constitution recognized that as well, and they expressed it this way, that every citizen had a responsibility to defend the Constitution from all enemies, domestic and foreign. Why was that? What that was trying to teach us is that every citizen in the United States should, and used to anyway, I don't know if they still do, but they used to study constitutional uh, law and the Constitution's history and all the rest of it in school because they had a personal citizen responsibility to uphold it. We have the same thing in the kingdom of God. It's called the word. Our constitution is the word of God. Paul said to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So the first thing we need to do is we need to know. We need to know the word of God. We need to know the contract and why we have accountability. We need to be people of the word of God. If we're people of the Word of God, that's the first thing we need to do in the kingdom of grace to live out accountability is to know the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God. Years of church history reveals what happens when the people didn't know the Word of God, but only a few leaders knew the Word of God. Amen? So the first thing is we need to know the Word of God so that we know what His Word says about accountability, and we know our own nature and our need for accountability, then the second thing is, as we mentioned, we need to know that accountability is better surrendered than enforced. What do I mean by that? Well, it's better when we choose to make ourselves accountable to others, when we invite accountability. We invite it. I have people in my life that I've invited to speak into my life. And you shouldn't just ask anybody. You can't just invite everybody to speak into your life. Some people aren't qualified to speak into your life. What do you mean they're not qualified? You mean that you're judging whether they're saved or whether they're scripture or spiritual enough or not? No, I don't mean that at all. The qualification to speak into your life is whether they have enough relationship with you or not. Some people aren't in enough relationship with you to have the right to speak into your life. When Pastor Mark came here, we, we were already pretty good friends. I, I married him and his wife many, many years ago and spoke in Spokane. obviously can 't remember exactly what day or I would have corrected Mark when he said it was their anniversary, but anyway. Uh, you know, flew out to Spokane, did their wedding. Known Katrina long before he even knew Mark, and and so when we were bringing them here, it was it was no brainer. Mark and I were sitting down in Starbucks one day, and we we're having coffee soon after he got here. And Mark's so excited; he's getting a hold of all these kingdom principles and all the rest of it. And he says, "I just want to have this really deep, accountable relationship with you." And I said to him, "Well, there are things that I'll tell Barry that I wouldn't tell you right now." What? What do you mean? And I said, well, because even though I I love you and I know you and I trust you, I don't know you as deeply as I know Barry. And I said, so the level of invitation to speak into my life is based on the level of relationship I have with that person. Now I know Mark deep enough. He can speak anything he wants into my life as well. But that's seven years of development and investment and of love and of relationship. And he would never have gotten the opportunity to develop that relationship if I didn't trust him in the first place. But do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's a step in the right direction to to give people permission. But only invite people that care about you. Right? Invite people that care about you. Be proactive about it. Have some people around you that you've invited to speak into your life. If we do that, we're walking a path toward correction and toward grace. Grace. James says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so you may be healed. The effect of of, uh, prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. When it comes to making yourself accountable, the key is to go to people who really care about you, people who want the best for you, people who know you the way your heavenly Father knows you. Now think about that. Graham Cook is one of these guys who can just say things so succinctly and he said this catch this out he said whenever god connects with you he connects uh, with you how he sees you in the spirit he connects with how he sees you in the spirit as a son or a daughter and not and not everybody say "not," not how you're behaving Right? Once he reveals your persona to you, once he reveals to you that you are a beloved son or a daughter of God, that's the way he speaks to you from that point on. He will always talk to you from your identity. Accountability, therefore, is not about calling people out on their stuff. It's about calling people up to their real identity. Amen? Amen? It isn't about calling people out, it's about calling people up. And so the more you know someone, the more you're able to call them up to who they were designed to be in Christ Jesus. This is, this is accountability by grace. This is accountability by grace. Because accountability without relationship breeds rebellion. Accountability without relationship breeds rebellion. How many many have teenagers here? How many know what happens when you're trying to put your expectations and your rules on your teenage child? Rebellion. The only way to get them to do the things that you want them to do is to have enough relationship with them that they'll do it out of relationship and not because they understand the rule. You know, when they're four or five, you can say, because I said so, and that works. When they're 13 or 14, no, that does not work. Everybody's saying, no, it doesn't. Rory, does it work now? Doesn't work, does it? No. Now the reality is mom and dad gotta get inside that kid's head. They gotta get so close to their heart that they'll do it, even though they don't understand why mom and dad have that silly rule to start with. They'll do it because they love them, because of relationship. And the deeper and tighter we get with our family, with our children, the more we can have peace and harmony in the home because there will be accountability in the context of relationship. Without relationship, they're going to rebel. They're going to rebel. They're going to run hard, 180 degrees in the opposite direction of the way you want them to go. So we got to develop deeper relationship. I want to put a a, a graphic that I designed a few years ago up on the screen for you. And so follow this with me. So we're we're talking about accountability. So accountability, when it is done in grace, when accountability is exercised in grace, it is different than when it's exercised in law. What does it look like? In grace, in grace, accountability, when it's surrendered or offered up to one another, that makes it a function of grace. So when I go to somebody and I offer up accountability to them, I am expressing accountability. I'm living out accountability in grace. How that's different from law, though, is that when accountability is expected one of another, it's a function of law. So when it's offered one to another, it's a function of grace. When it's expected of one another, it's a function of law. Jesus came and the Bible says that when he died and when he gave his life on the cross, that he fulfilled the requirements of the law so that you are as paul said no longer under law but under grace so in the grace kingdom in the grace kingdom we don't function for example under the law of the 10 commandments we keep the 10 commandments because we're accountable to god by grace right we're not accountable to the law we're accountable to the love of christ in grace And that's the difference between the kingdom we live in and the kingdom uh, of law. And how that translates in human activity is this. Since God's kingdom is a kingdom of grace, then accountability is something we give and not something we take. It's something we give, not something we take. Ken Gill, he created his own word for this. Reportability. Not accountability. It's not actually in the dictionary, so you can look it up, it's not there. But what Ken's trying to express is that principle that accountability is something that we we give. It's about reporting to those that we're accountable to. So as a leadership here at Desert Stream, you know, we do our very best to report to the family where things are at, where we're at financially, what our goals and objectives are, the things that we want to do. We, we make ourselves accountable by reporting to the people. When, not even when it's asked for, voluntarily, we report that to the people. Why? Because we want to be accountable. We don't have a Tahiti fund or any other thing. Why? Because we're reporting to the people where everything goes, where all the finances go, how things are are carried out in the church. We, We practice the principle of making ourselves accountable, of being reportable. Otherwise, the people would try to make us be accountable. It would be something that they take rather than something that we give. How many know it's much better when you give it? Amen? And the more authority that the people give to the leadership of a church or of any organization, the more reportable, the more accountable that leadership needs to be. So the more authority they have, the more reportable they must become. Amen? Isn't that good stuff? Are you hearing me this morning? This is the principle of accountability in action. It's something that we give, not something we take. So the focus then becomes on me and not on others. I'm not looking out, you know, seeing all the people and looking at all of their lives and come calling them up and saying, you know I, I think you need to deal with this and I think you need to deal with that. Instead, I look at my own life, make myself accountable to people that are in relationship with me and then guard my own heart and my own life. As the scripture says, therefore let a man examine himself. And I take a look inside my own heart And I lead them by example that other people will do the same. Amen? Accountability in the kingdom of grace. Father, we just ask today that you would help us as your children to exercise accountability in the kingdom of grace of God. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we now know it's a, as a function of grace, accountability is something that we give, not something that we take. It's something that father, we offer to those that love us and that father, those that we trust and not something that we exact from other people. And father, we also recognize that without relationship, accountability leads to rebellion, but father with relationship, it leads to great reward. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to live out this principle, knowing that without it, Lord, we end up in the ditch really fast. But with it, Lord, we can build the kingdom strong in Jesus' name, amen.